the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Now, Peter refutes the arrogant assertion of those who would mock Christ's coming by showing us that their thinking is wrong. He says it's erroneous. In spite of their smugness, in spite of their arrogance, they're wrong. They claim that Christ could never come in the future because God has never intervened like anything like that in the past. And Peter tells us that when they make this claim, they choose to deliberately ignore two events in history. When God did act out of the norm, what are these two events? Number one is creation. Number two is the flood. Welcome to Verse by Verse. There are countless times when God has acted out of the norm. We commonly call those events miracles. But creation and the flood stand out because of their immediate and global impact. In fact, the impact of creation was a lot more than just a worldwide event. We recently studied Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter. The book of Hebrews begins this way. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. In just a little bit, pastor teacher Steve Kreloff will show us how understanding the creation of the world impacts our understanding of and our confidence in the promise of the return of Christ. Pastor Steve has been ministering since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse Ministries is pleased to make his messages available to you by means of these daily radio Bible classes. Today's class is the middle portion of a three-part message about the return of Jesus Christ. This message is the second in a series of six messages from 2 Peter chapter 3. The Bible has many references to the second coming. Jesus himself said that he would return to judge the world and establish his kingdom here on this rebellious planet. But many people, maybe most people, either deny that it will happen or they at least have serious doubts. How do we know he's coming back? Is there a basis for that great hope? Well, there certainly is, and Pastor Steve will be sharing some of that foundation today on Verse by Verse. Our text for these studies can be found in 2 Peter chapter 3. If you have your Bible with you, turn to verse 3. And now here is Pastor Steve with our lesson. False teachers who he's been writing about, Peter tells us, these are the ones Jesus said to beware of. These men mock the second coming of Christ. And we went over this last week. I think the end of verse 3 is very significant. Why do they mock the return of Christ? Because they have an agenda. There's something behind this. Following, he says, after their lusts. That's very, very important. This explains their motivation. In other words, the reason they have such deep contempt for the doctrine of Christ's return and the judgment it will bring, that's the real issue, judgment on sin, is because they want to pursue their lusts. They, and in this case, illicit sexual pleasures without the consequences of having to face divine retribution. 
They don't want to own up to the fact that God is going to judge their immorality. So they mock the doctrine that speaks of the judgment of, of, of that. See, no one has a problem with the sweet babe of Bethlehem. No one has a problem with that. Who'd have a problem with a little baby being born in a manger? But they do have a problem with him growing up and coming back as the king to judge their sin. And because they refuse to submit to God's moral standards, they attempt to discredit the doctrine of judgment by mocking Christ's return, which is the very purpose for which he is returning, at least one of the purposes, and that is to judge their sin. These false teachers even came up, according to verse 4, with an argument. We've touched upon it. Let me, let me deal with it again. This is their argument to support their mockery. They didn't just mock. They had actually, uh, they set a foundation, a basis for that. And here's what they were saying. Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. They said, in essence, how can you believe such nonsense? How can you believe that Jesus Christ is coming again to judge the world? We all know that God doesn't operate like that. God is not like that. Just look around you. Ever since the beginning of time, there's never been a catastrophic event. There's never been anything like that in which God broke into history and interfered in the natural order of things. So how ridiculous to believe that at the end of history, there's going to be a catastrophic judgment at the return of, of Christ. You, you see their argument? We've never seen anything like this. It's never happened before. We don't have any record of anything like this happening before, so why do you think it's going to happen now? As I told you, that is basically the same thing that evolutionists say today. There's never going to be any change. For millions of years, they say it's just been going like this, this process, and it's going to continue like this. Now, if you've ever felt a little intimidated by so-called intellectuals who have laughed and, and belittled you for your belief in the Bible as the literal word of God and have mocked you for believing something they would say as, as outdated and out of touch with reality as the return of Christ, then you can understand how Peter's readers felt. Peter's readers felt intimidated. And they needed encouragement and they needed help. And that's exactly what Peter does. And that brings us to verses 5 through 7, which gives us one more assurance in our hearts that Christ is coming again. One more way we assure ourselves he's coming again. Number one, you remember the word of God. You meditate on the word of God. You remember that, that though they laugh at you, Jesus said he would come again. The prophets said he would come again. The apostles said he would come again. And listen, beloved, if he came the first time, just as the prophecies predicted, literally, physically, so he's coming again the second time, just like that. Don't spiritualize it. There are even Christians today who uh, I, I think wrongly interpret the scriptures that they say there won't be a physical kingdom. There won't be a literal coming again. It'll be spiritual. In fact, they would tell us that the kingdom already has come. It's in your hearts. Well, there's a truth to that. Wherever the king reigns, that's where his kingdom has come. But the Bible also says that there is a physical, literal kingdom coming. So we want to be careful about that. But these folks mocked it. And now Peter gives us a second way to assure our hearts that he's coming again. Number one, remember the word of God. Number two, recognize the work of God. Verses five and six. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. 
Now, Peter refutes the arrogant assertion of those who would mock Christ's coming by showing us that their thinking is wrong. He says it's erroneous. In, in spite of their smugness, in spite of their arrogance, they're wrong. They claim that Christ could never come in the future because God has never intervened like, like anything like that in the past. And Peter tells us that when they make this claim, they choose to deliberately ignore two events in history. When God did act out of the norm, what are these two events? Number one is creation. Number two is the flood. Now, before we look at these two events and, and examine what Peter is saying, it's important to understand that those who reject the return of Christ on the grounds that nothing like that's ever happened in history, deliberately, Peter says, deliberately choose to ignore what the Bible states about how God acted in the past. They willfully maintain this. They don't look at the evidence. They would never think of looking in the Bible to explain history. Why? Because to them, God's revelation is ridiculous. The Bible says that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. They don't care what the Bible says because their attitude is if they cannot personally observe or prove something in a laboratory, then it must not be true. That's that's their approach. If I can't observe it, and I can't prove it in a laboratory, it must not be true. Therefore, anything that smacks of the miraculous or beyond the norm is to be rejected. Therefore, they deliberately choose to reject what the Bible states, and as a result, they have a distorted view of history. The difference between our perspective and their perspective is that their view of God comes from what they have observed, which is pretty limited, pretty limited. Our view of God comes from what he has revealed. You don't have to observe something to believe it. You don't have to do that at all. In fact, Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, By faith we know that the worlds were created by the word of God. It is by faith. So Peter states that an accurate view of history reveals that at creation and the flood, God did intervene dramatically. And he broke in and changed the normal course of things. In his book, Giant Land, Roland Quiz writes of a conversation between Mrs. Snip, a resident of Giant Land, and Tim, who is the first outsider she ever met or ever heard of. Gracious, exclaimed Mrs. Snip, and is there a place where people venture to live above ground? I never heard of people living underground, replied Tim, before I came to Giant Land. Came to Giant Land, cried Mrs. Snip, why, isn't everywhere giant land? It's hard to accept the notion that there are things outside of our own realm of experience. The typical response is that it's impossible. The old saying is, seeing is believing. Well, that was the case for Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples. Blessed are those who did not see, yet believed. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff will be right back to continue our lesson after a short break to welcome those of you who just tuned in. You are listening to Verse by Verse, a daily Bible class of the air. Pastor Steve has been ministering at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, since 1981. Today's class is the middle part of a three-part message about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, taken from 2 Peter chapter 3. In the first part of our class, Pastor Steve has been laying some groundwork for what is to come next. Let's return to our lesson now and see how an understanding of the power of God demonstrated in the creation of the universe gives us confidence in the fact 
that Jesus will return to judge the world and to set everything right again. Let's look first of all at creation. Peter says, by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Now, based on these words, we know that Peter was a creationist, a creationist who believed exactly what was revealed in Genesis chapter one. He believed that God spoke the world's into existence. God spoke the universe into existence. That's that's just mind-boggling. It wasn't through a process. God spoke and it happened. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, nine times in that chapter we read, and God said, and then it happened. God brought the world into existence simply by speaking it. You don't need to turn there, but I want to read to you from Psalm 33, verse 6. I want to read through verse 9. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. The breath of his mouth is his word. That's why scripture says, all scripture is God-breathed. He gathers the waters of the seas together as a heap. He lays up the stores in, uh, lays up the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. God just spoke. Now, what this uh, all means is that the universe was created by the instantaneous six-day creative act of God, not by some consistent, unchanging evolutionary process. As today's mockers of Christ's return would assert, Peter's point, it's real obvious. The same God who created the world by his word can and will intervene in the world he created by judging it at the return of Christ. All he has to do is speak the word. It's the power of God. See, the one thing that scoffers do overlook, and something that you and I must never overlook, is the power of God. The power of God. Just because it may appear to us, and it does appear to us, that all things continue just as they always have. I haven't seen anything like this. You haven't observed anything like this. Most of us have never even seen a miracle in that sense of, of nature being, being changed. But just because God doesn't often break into the natural order of things that he's established doesn't mean he won't at the return of Christ. Just because you and I haven't observed it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. I mean, none of us was there at creation, and yet I hope you believe that. And that, in fact, it comes to my mind, that's one of the things that God said to Job in the book of Job, were you there? Do you know so much? Were you there when I made the worlds? And Job has to admit, no, I guess I don't know as much as I think I know. And nobody has been there. But just because we didn't see something happen doesn't mean it won't happen or God won't intervene in the future. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, the final trouble with the scoffers, they forget the power of God. The world seems very stable. It seems fixed and immovable. But we must remember that the God who made and controls it and the entire cosmos is this almighty God who can bring things into being out of nothing and destroy them in a moment. The God who can handle the world and play with constellations as if they were but atoms. God spoke the world into existence. There was nothing that existed before except him. And he spoke it. 
Now, I want you to notice something carefully as you look at verse 5 again, 2 Peter 3. I want you to notice how Peter has worded verse 5. Look at it again. For when they maintain this, he says, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago. And notice this. He says, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. He doesn't simply tell us that God created the universe by his word, but he is careful to specify the earth was formed out of water and by water. Now, now, why does he say that? Why would he, why would he put it that way? Why would he word it that way? Well, for one thing, Peter is perfectly describing how Genesis 1 says that God formed the dry ground. Now, I'd like your turn to Genesis chapter 1 and stay there for a few moments. Genesis chapter 1. This is how God did it. Now, it's not presented in scientific terms. It's not, it's not meant to be. The Bible is not a book of science. It is always accurate when it speaks, but it is not presented in terminology that a scientist would, uh, would say, aha, that's, that's uh, something that we can put in a textbook. It's not like that. But notice Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. What this is telling us is that when God spoke the world into existence, originally waters completely covered the earth. It was dark, and waters completely covered it. That's, that's pretty much the essence of, of thought here. But something happened on the second and third day, uh, second and third day of the first week of creation. Verse six, then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. What this is telling us is that though the waters originally covered the earth on the second and third days of creation, these verses reveal that God separated the waters that originally covered the earth. Some waters were elevated above the earth and they formed the atmosphere where, where moisture is. Probably this was uh, not clouds, but a canopy, a transparent canopy that, uh, that went all around the earth and gave the earth sort of a greenhouse effect. Probably a very tropical climate all over the earth. So you understand he took the waters and he separated the waters. Some waters were elevated above and they were in this canopy, covered the earth. But then he collected the waters on the surface of the earth and brought them together into distinct basins so that seas were formed. That would be oceans and, uh, and rivers and lakes. And with these seas, then continents appeared. Now, this is what Peter means when he says that the earth was formed out of water and by water. But why does he feel it's so important to mention the water? Why not just say God created, he spoke it into existence. Here's his point. Now watch this. It's because these same waters, both from the sky above and from the surface of the earth, God used to once again break into history and destroy the world. God destroyed the world by a flood, by the waters. Let's go back to Second Peter Chapter 3. 
this is his point. He says in verse 6, through which, he means the waters here, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. Peter's emphasis is that God used the instrument of water to do it. Peter, of course, is referring to the worldwide flood of Noah's day. And what he's saying is that God used the waters from above the earth and the waters beneath the surface of the earth to flood the earth. Now, we know from chapter 2 of, of 2 Peter, verse 5, that his readers already are acquainted with the flood because he mentions this. He says, uh, concerning judgment, God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now he's telling us how God did it, how God did it. He used the waters to do that. Now, I, some people have a, a misunderstanding of the flood. They think that it just rains that it just, just rained and there was a flood. I want you to look back at Genesis chapter 7 and see how hideous the flood was. And if you want more information on this, you can go to the tapes that we have from our study on Genesis chapter 7 and the flood. Now, notice in Genesis 7 verse 11, we're told in the 600th year of Noah's life, and by the way, people live longer because of that canopy effect. And because sin had not penetrated yet in terms of all the diseases that we, that we have, so people before the flood lived a lot longer. But in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were open. The flood wasn't a result of a lot of rainfall. In fact, they had never had rain up to, to that point. But what he's saying is the vast subterranean oceans upon which this earth was built, just burst open. That's what he's saying. All the seas that were now underneath the earth's crust, the subterranean oceans, they just burst open. And, and Genesis 7 verse 24 says, for 150 days, those oceans spilled forth on the earth. Imagine that. It wasn't just that some rain came down. The earth opened up and water began gushing forth and probably it was very hot water. Hideous. In addition, we're told that the mass of water that, had, that, that was accumulated above the earth in the form of that transparent canopy just collapsed. So that so much water that was stored in it, it, it poured down on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. It was, a, it was a, just a, a downpour like we've never seen. It wasn't just some rain clouds opened up. It wasn't just a storm. In other words, the waters that had been separated from the creation week, was now they, those waters were now brought together in order to destroy everyone on the planet except Noah and his family. And why did God do this? And this is Peter's whole point. He broke in upon the natural order of things in order to judge the inhabitants of this world. With that, we need to wrap up the lesson for today. I hope you can join us again for our next class, though, as Pastor Steve continues this study of 2 Peter chapter 3. Thank you for listening today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. His clear, practical messages are now available to you via this radio station and the website I'll tell you about in a moment. If you are in the Clearwater area on a Sunday morning and looking for a church, why not come in and worship with us? We would love to meet you. Lakeside Community Chapel is located in Clearwater at 1893 Sunset Point Road. 
That's midway between U.S. Highway 19 and the beach. Verse by Verse Ministries oversees the production of these daily radio Bible classes of the air. We're a faith ministry made possible by the prayers and gifts of interested listeners who have first been faithful to their own local church. If you would like to hear this broadcast again, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can listen online or download the audio for later listening at your convenience. If you would like to ensure that you don't miss any of the lessons, we offer a free podcasting service. You'll find clear instructions for subscribing to that service at the website. There is even a complimentary newsletter available if you would like to sign up for that. It has information about verse-by-verse ministries as well as some teaching resources. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. As I mentioned earlier, this program is the first part of a three-part message. If you would like to hear the entire message all at once, without announcements, you can order an audio CD by calling us. The number is 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again, 727-441-1714. Do you ever think about how great and mighty God is? Well, Pastor Steve has some insights about how God's greatness ties in with the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Please join us for our next verse-by-verse and some wonderful assurances about the second coming right from the pages of Scripture. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.